Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We're a church for imperfect people only. We're in our series, LA is Corinth. Because as we walk through 1 Corinthians, we see so many similarities between that city and ours. Like LA, it was a port city filled with wealth and immigration. It was a sports capital, second only to the Olympics. Like LA, it was extremely sexualized with Aphrodite as the goddess of love and her temple just outside the city. A part of worshiping her was sleeping with one of her 1,000 priestess. Lastly, like LA, the church was deeply divided along political lines. Sound familiar? And the whole time, Paul is trying to call the community of Christ to live Christian values in the midst of this culture, and it's a fight. As we walk through this letter, we are encouraged and called in the same ways to live for Jesus while living in L.A. I'll go ahead and open our, our sermon with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump, back, we'll jump into the uh, passage this morning. God, thank you so much for um, your word and how you speak to us above and beyond our culture. And uh, the culture has a lot to say about sex. We hear it in every song and movie and Netflix show. We have conversations about all the time. And I'm thankful that you have words to speak to us as well. And so would you speak? Will we believe your word as true? And will we come to you uh, this morning and put our trust in you in every category of our life, including this one? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we continue in our series, um, Corinth is L.A., I think about, again, all the similarities that L.A. and Corinth has, but maybe one, one of the most similar is how sexualized Corinth was and how sexualized L.A. is. If you come from another state, you'll notice how much we value beauty, how people dress differently, how, um, you know, our whole society is inundated with sexuality. But Corinth was made L.A. look really tame and kind of boring because they had, again, this priest, this uh, god called Aphrodite, and she resided, her temple resided on a hill right next to Corinth. And people would go to this hill to worship with one of the thousand priestess, often having intercourse with them. But also at night, these priestess would descend this hill into the streets of Corinth. So there became this Greek proverb that it is not every man who can afford to journey to Corinth because you might lose all of your wealth to um, sleeping around. And it was similar to kind of modern-day Las Vegas, but also L.A., where promiscuousness and sexual freedom was very much valued in the society. And so we have some sayings in our society, in our sexual view of sex, that are really similar to Corinth, right? So we have this this view of sex that, like, should I change mics, Mikey? Okay, let's do that. Check, check. One, two, check. Oh, a little cleaner. So we have some views on sex, like, uh, that's an appetite, right? It's just sex, or you say, oh, I'm thirsty, or someone's thirsty, like, they really want sex. And Corinth had that same perspective as well, that sex is cheap. Um, One of the opening verses is food is for the stomach and stomach is for food. God will destroy them both. Meaning that 
sex is just an appetite. Just like when you're hungry and you want to eat food, if you're feeling sexually aroused, go ahead and be satisfied that way. And God doesn't really care about our sex life. He doesn't care about what we do with our bodies, whether it's what we eat or who we have sex with, because God is going to destroy them both. It's just sex. It's just an appetite. Um, One of the opening passages, again, says, I have the right to do anything. And I added, I have the right to do anything I want with my body. And that's a really common concept in Corinth. They actually had a huge value for freedom and individuality. And again, very similar to the way that we have conversations about sex. No one can tell us what to do with our body, with who we have sex with, with our sexuality. It's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. And so we have this secular view of of sex that it's cheap. Uh, It's a commodity, and it doesn't have much meaning to it. And then we have a Christian view of sex. And oftentimes, we can summarize it with sex is dirty. So the secular view of sex is sex is cheap. The Christian view of sex is sex is dirty. Uh, Tim Keller talks about this in one of his sermons. I'll post it for you in case you want a better version of the sermon. You can listen to him. Um, And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And other translations actually talks about how it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And in Jewish culture, they had so many rules about the opposite gender. In fact, if you go outside to the street or marketplace, you were only really allowed to talk to your wife, your mom, and your daughter, right? Those were, that was the extent of female relationships or friendships that you could have. No one talked to people outside of their family who were of the opposite gender. They would immediately assume that you were going to have sexual relationships with them, that you were asking them for sex. In fact, the most um, elite Pharisees would close their eyes when they saw an attractive woman. It didn't say attractive in uh, Barkey's commentary, but I have to imagine it has to be like, attractive or someone in their age group because they would close their eyes while walking um, from street to street when they saw women. And these Pharisees, but isn't like women half the population, are they going the whole way blind? So uh, maybe it has to be some type of like filter, right? But anyways, they would see a woman, they would close their eyes, and they would keep walking. It's like they'd rather get ran over by a donkey than look at a woman. And then of course they're going to hit walls and trees and goats, and they would bear their bruising and exhibit them as special badges for extraordinary piety. Again, this is from Barclay as he writes uh, in the commentary of Luke. So, but I don't think that's dissimilar to how a lot of us grew up at church, that sex is dirty, women or men are the enemy, they're there to like take away your purity, I remember I read I Kissed Dating Goodbye, so I had all of these, like, unrealistic expectations from my first girlfriend or for dating in general. Or we're silent about it. It's easy to go to church, get the ring, sign the contract, and never hear about sex again. It's just something that's dirty and shameful, and you're only supposed to do that dirty, shameful thing with your married wife or husband, right? You're saving that really dirty thing for your wife, (laughs) for the person you love most. And that's how oftentimes we've heard it, especially if uh, you grow up at church. Well, Paul doesn't have a cheap view of sex, and he doesn't have a dirty view of sex. He elevates it, and he says that sex is extremely powerful 
extremely valuable. It's not a commodity, it's not cheap, but it's also not dirty. It's extremely powerful and valuable. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 to 13, we're just going to walk through it like you did in your small groups, which I really appreciate. So no one's like in shock and awe when I'm like, we're talking about sex today. Everyone's like, oh yeah, we kind of talked about that already. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Those are the uh, retorts that Paul is giving to these common mantras of the Corinth people infiltrating the Corinth church. Again, you say food is for the stomach and stomach is for food, but God will destroy them both. Again, a common mantra. But Paul says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. You see, at the time, the, the Christians had this disjointed view of the physical body and the spiritual soul. And they thought, whatever I do with the body is fine, but the soul is what God wants to preserve, save, and bring into eternity. And in verse 14, by Paul saying that God actually raised the body of Jesus from the dead, and he'll raise our bodies as well, he's saying that our bodies are also spiritual. It's part of the totality of who we are. There's, no, there's not a separation. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. All right, again, as we talk about sexual ethics, I know that there's people in this room who aren't Christian, who are curious about the faith, um, maybe who are not sure if they want to give their lives to Jesus. I would say it doesn't apply to you, um, but I'm glad you're here to learn about it. This really applies to everyone who says that they're Christian. So first we want to talk about what sex is. Why are we keeping, be, why are we protecting our sexual purity? And I would say first it's for your husband or wife. And the verse here is for the two will become one flesh. And we're going to spend some time here because this really speaks to the essence of sex. When it talks about flesh here, the two will be one flesh, as Tim Keller says, he's not speaking about physical insertion. He's not speaking about the act of sex itself. That flesh isn't just your skin and your bones and your organs. The word flesh in the Greek is talking about embodied personhood. Basically speaking about the totality of who you are, um, your, your mind, your body, your soul, all of who you are is becoming one when you have intercourse. And so, so when we have sex with someone, we're, what Paul is saying is that we're actually radically donating all of who we are to that other person. That they, that they get to walk away with a piece of us in a permanent way. That we are scarring in, in beautiful ways each other's souls. 
that I'm giving a part of my soul to Nina and actually transforming, transforming her soul as, in intercourse, and she's transforming my soul, that we're radically donating a part of ourselves to each other, that the two people, the two souls, in some ways are becoming one, that we are marking each other. When I think about um, sexual ethics in general, we have to talk about kids in order to have a clear and comprehensive understanding of sex. And I think that Liam is such a great example in Levi of what it means for two people to become one. That as we are, are giving ourselves permanently to each other, which is a beautiful thing when you're married because you come together in your finances, in your futures, in your families, right? And now you're actually marking each other's soul so that when you're apart from the other person, they're still with you. Even though Nina's upstairs, there's a part of her heart that resides in my heart. There's a part of her soul that resides in my soul. Isn't that beautiful? That no matter the distance, we are still together because of the power and the potency of sex. And then our child, children come out of that act, and they're this really tangible expression of two souls becoming one. That Liam doesn't just carry our DNA and our personality, our strengths and weaknesses, but somehow Nina and I have marked the souls of our children. There's no other woman I can be with, no other man that she can be with that would create this soul. The personality, the persona, the soul of Liam and Levi. And that's a beautiful understanding of what sex is. The outcome of it is this child, but the act of it is this intermingling and marking of each other's souls. When you look at um, the next passage, God takes sex, Paul takes sex into this really theological category. It has a bunch of mystery to it. I, I would say even after being married for seven no, sorry, nine years. Uh, two of them were tough, so I just blocked them out. No, after I've been married for nine years, um, I'm still trying to understand the mystery of it. So in verse 14, it says, and you can mark up these passages, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Do you not know that your, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We preached a sermon, right, about how we are in Christ. And it totally changed our view of that, those two words, that we are in Christ. When he adopts us into his kingdom, he is the one who is holding our soul and our eternity. There's this unity between us and Christ. And even more so, as it says, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about the great mystery of God living inside of us. His spirit resides next to our spirit and is continuing to craft and form ours as he gives us our own person and autonomy. And it's at this level of and that, that level of intimacy of us being in Christ is reminiscent of Christ being in the Father and the Father being in him. The Spirit residing in us is, is reminiscent of how the Trinity works. It's, it's the shadow of the Trinity's relationship being uh, given and exemplified in our relationship with the Trinity. And then... 
when we have sex with each other, uh, when we are sex, hopefully, with our husband or wife, that is actually on the same tier that Paul is placing in this passage as the Spirit living inside of us, as us being one with Christ. He's using that category to talk about being one in sexual relationship. That's kind of mind-blowing, that sex is way beyond our legs and our, and our lives and our minds coming together. It's this, it's this donation of each other in permanent ways. The way the Spirit resides in us is the same category of us residing in each other through the act of sex. That's what it's meant to be. This nuclear bomb going off so that all of us are coming together in ways in which we were never meant to separate. Paul is saying that just like you are members of Christ, just like the Spirit is residing in you, you're also unifying yourself to one another. I would say to a lesser degree, but that's the mystery in which he's trying to pull us into as we think about sex. Isn't that so much more than you could even imagine? It's not ecstasy. It's not even just human connection. It's a radical donation of yourself to the other. Saying, I want to be with you forever. I want my heart to be in your heart. My soul to be in your soul. I want you to have a piece of me. And isn't that how we speak, even in our culture, haven't you heard uh, sitcoms or songs or your best friend say, I gave him all of me? Or he walked away with a piece of me? Or I am hers? A part, of, a part of her lives in me. That sex is supposed to do these radical, dramatic, life, soul, and heart-shaping things. It's so much more powerful than the cheap concepts of sex in our society and so much more beautiful than anything, than something that's dirty or shameful. But when something is powerful, we always guard it, right? We always guard the most precious and powerful parts of our lives. I guard Liam and Levi, although you wouldn't think that at baptism. Um, I guard our, our savings account. I guard the things that are most precious to me. And that's why God is calling us to guard this piece of our soul, of our lives, because of how precious it is. And that's also why Paul says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits is outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And he's just saying the same thing, that when you commit other sins, it still affects your soul, but it kind of comes from the outside in. You do a behavior, then it becomes a habit, then it starts infecting your character and value system, and then it kind of becomes who you are. Right? You become a liar. You, you, lying once probably doesn't define you, but if you have a habit of doing that, then it, it's like it's kind of soul-shaping. But it starts from the outside in, and Paul is saying that sex is different. Sex marks us from the inside out. That's why he says all other sins a person commits is outside of the body, but whoever commits sin 
sexually sins against their own body. So how do we run from sexual, Im, sexual immorality? Because it says flee from sexual immorality, which is different than uh, Ephesians chapter 6, where it says stand firm, right? Paul is telling us to stand firm against demons, against, um, against Satan, against lies. But when it comes to sex, run away, you know? Something really potent about that. We see that in Joseph's life as he's running away. And so there are some really, I think, practical ways in which we can run from sexual immorality. And I talk about this pretty extensively in our three-week sex addiction um, series in summer. So we have a podcast on uh, Apple. You guys could scroll back and look at that. But very simply, I really recommend everyone put up blockers. If you have trouble with uh, pornography, really... I can help you, okay? I've, put, I've tried to put blockers on for like 20 years of my life, um, and very diligently the last five. I'll give you $100 if you could find any, like, porn on my computer. Well, especially on my phone. My phone is, like, so locked down. I don't have Google. I don't have YouTube. I have nothing on my phone. It's totally neutered. It's pretty much, I should have bought a flip phone instead of paying Apple, right? It's just, it's just gone. Um, but I could use, I use things through apps, okay? My laptop, same way, blockers everywhere. everywhere. Why? Because I have a problem with, sex, with uh, pornography, and I don't want to carry a million videos in my pocket. If you're saying, like, you're an alcoholic, but you're carrying a backpack of vodka, right, rum, and whiskey, I'm like, you might not be able to get rid of your addiction, you know? Like, doing this isn't helpful to pull out hard liquor, like, in the same way, if you have a whole library in your pocket and you're like, I really don't want to watch porn, it's, it doesn't make sense, right, uh, practically speaking. How can you put up blockers? Um, and, I, again, I'm willing to help you. Other people at this church have done a great job of that. And um, we do it, I do it on every single device. You know, like, we have a, a church laptop that was sitting in the common room. I was like, put a password on that that I don't know. You know, just like everywhere. Because I know I need to create these boundaries um, in order to have sobriety in this area. But also, I need accountability. So I meet with uh, someone every week, and we created a space where we could talk about sobriety, not only in our uh, digital life, but also in our personal lives as well. Because I'm not attracted to Nina. I'm attracted to the category of women, you know? And Nina is in that category, therefore I'm attracted to her and all of the specifics in which she embodies. But sometimes we experience that in our workplace, in our hobby life. And so I just really believe that if I can have someone who gives me grace and truth and I could talk to them through the years of my life about other women that I'm attracted to, how I'm interacting with them and asking for wisdom, that that's actually probably the most potent way in which I'll be faithful to Nina, which is the main goal. Um, it's okay to walk away. You know, maybe there's relationships that you have that are super toxic when it comes to your sexuality. Friends with benefits. Like, don't be friends with that person. Walk away from them. Uh, walk away from situations that people are having a lot of explicit conversation. You're like, I'm probably not going to turn the conversation here. And I'm kind of being dragged into it. I'm laughing at the things they're laughing about. I'm thinking of stories that they're speaking about. I'm in those situations uh, in volleyball and other non-Christian friends quite a bit, you know. And sometimes it dies down. And other times I'm like, oh, I guess it's time to go home. But I'm not pulling out my picket signs because we're living in different uh, standards, right? If I was non-Christian, I would have the same conversations as they did. 
but how can we walk, be okay walking away? And maybe you're in a Christian relationship, but you know that this, this thing is not going to end in your relationship. Uh, you're going to continue to fall uh, into, into sex. And maybe, and it's worth guarding your heart and soul um, over, that's worth more than the relationship you're in. <clears throat> you know, I think at the end of the day, what we're trying, why we put up all these boundaries and accountability and blockers and relational guards is because we're protecting something extremely valuable. And I would, I imagine it as really kind of creating the sacred space for, for Nina, even before I met her, to say that this is a space that only uh, we reside. You know, I think about how some of your closest relationships, your, the intimacy experience, you experience it because you've only experienced that thing with that person. Only you two have that story. Only you two have that joke. Only you two went through um, that event. And the exclusion of it actually is what makes your, the intimacy of your relationship different, right? You experience that with that person, not anyone else. With the nuclear bomb of sex that God's created us to mark each other, he's also created this experience where no one else gets. That's how it was created to be. Like, I've shared so many laughs and ministries and profound conversations with so many women, hobbies, you know, drinks, right? I've shared that with so many women. But when I think about the sacred space of marriage by God's grace, uh, I've been able to wait for Nina. And we got married at 30, so I waited an effing long, sorry, oh, whoa, where did that go? I waited um, a really long time. Wow. Sorry, guys. Sorry, youth ministry. Uh, I, I do apologize. I usually don't do that. Uh, I, I, just, I was just thinking about how long I waited for. It was just really long. Sometimes words have limits. Um, it was a really, really, really long time. As I waited for, what I meant to say was I waited a really, really, really long time to meet Nina. And we, you know, not, I wasn't perfect for sure, but I waited for Nina. And then there was this really beautiful space that only we resided in of, of intimacy in a lot of physical ways, right? But also waking up together and falling asleep sharing the same space, cooking breakfast, you know, using the same restroom and saying that this is, this is just for us. That I didn't have this with other women. And I think that, you know, there's this really um, damn. I mean, you know, it's, it's the secular world, right? But the secular world is like, hey, move in together. Do some years of marriage first before you actually get married. But I just, it's hard for me to understand the difference between my friends who have cohabitated and broken up with those who get a divorce. I don't really understand the difference there. You're moving your stuff out. You're putting your back into the car. You're sleeping alone again. The person you thought you would be with longer, you're not. And, and you've really acted as their husband or wife for that amount of time. And I, I just think, man, um, I think about the conversations I've had where people, again, like you think about movies or TV shows or your conversations where people are like, do you remember your first time? Because this 
10th time or 50th time just doesn't feel like the first anymore. The power and potency of sex is diminishing. I remember the first time because it impacted my soul. And now it's just people sleeping around. It's now it's just sex. Even though it's still not just sex, it feels like it's just sex. And God's saying, what if you created a space even before you met your husband or wife for just them? And what if when you slept with them, it was life and soul shifting instead of it just being another person, instead of it just being sex? What if you gave all of yourself to them? And I know, guys, again, like, I, by God's grace, I saved myself for Nina, but that doesn't mean all of you know that I'm not guilty in this area, in this category. I think all of us hear this sermon, and we're just like, I wish we, I wish we held on to more for our husband or wife. I wish we could give them more of us. Maybe it's watching porn. Maybe it's you had a history of sleeping with, with people before or after you became a Christian. And I, I think today I'm, I'm calling us all to repent, including myself. Because even us who are married, we, we might not have been experiencing sex the way God's called us to. A mingling of our souls, a gifting of, a, of us to each other. Something selfless instead of selfish. Um, man, God always puts us back together, doesn't he? God always takes broken things and makes them whole, and God always takes sin and redeems it. The world has this view of, like, either you're a virgin or you're not. But God doesn't see us like that. He sees us as daughters and sons. And he says, I can bring you home. I can mend you. I can piece you back together, and then you can give your heart and soul to the person you were meant to give it to. Repentance is, the Greek word is changing your mind about something. And I hope that maybe today you changed your mind about sex. And you said that instead of it being something that I get to control and do, I don't believe that Jesus purchased all of me, including my body. And I want to trust the Lord with it. If you've lived long enough as a Christian and you've walked with the Lord, has he ever let you down? Have you ever said, you know, I really wish I didn't listen to God about that thing. Like he failed me there. His ethics on, on that area is totally false. I've never had the Lord let me down. I've never walked away uh, 10 years out and looked back and said, God messed up. And I hope that if you're not, not married, which I wasn't for <laughs> a long, 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 long time, really, really long time, you know, during that time, two things kind of kept me. But the most important thing is, I don't get it, God, but I'm going to trust you with this. Right? Who really gets why we can't sleep around uh, when we're in our 20s or or teens. Like, it doesn't make sense. There's no victims. It's super pleasurable. Everyone else is doing it, except I'm just going to trust God and give all of my life to him, including this, and I'm going to wait because he calls me to. 
And all of this will make sense when you get married. I remember the first, you know, sleeping with Nina, and it just clicked. All of it clicked. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, because, you know, I would, again, I wasn't perfect, so you would fall a little bit, right? You would do things, you would cross the line. And then you actually did feel, I don't know if you guys experienced this, when you cross the line, you do feel like your, like your soul is being pushed into someone else and it's not meant to be there. And you have to like kind of pull it back. And then I remember when me and Nina, you know, consummated our married marriage, it was like my soul meant to be there. It found a home there and I didn't have to pull it back. And I just celebrated that. It just felt totally different than, than anything prior to marriage. I hope that you would just trust the Lord for that and believe his word like you believed it for everything else. And so today, that's the call. The call isn't like, were you perfect? The call isn't, are you a virgin? The call is, are you a son or daughter of God? And will you think about sex and live in a different culture than the rest of the world? We're going to go ahead and um, share in our small groups a little bit because I really want to create spaces in our church where you minister to each other. That's what the second piece is, that you would pray for each other and minister to each other as brothers and sisters. And I believe that the Spirit always works powerfully when we pray for each other. I want us to take communion together and to just kind of remember the story of the woman caught in adultery. What if today as we took communion, we were just kneeling next to her as well? Just saying, God, we need your forgiveness. And then as the worship um, goes, I did ask some leaders to scatter around the room, the corners. And if you would like uh, a prayer from us as a pastoral team and leadership, we would love to extend a prayer to you as well. We're going to try to do that more because I know that this isn't a sermon. Like one of the comp- Yeah, I know that this is going to come up way more than a sermon can put its arms around. And I hope that as you come to church, maybe through the months and weeks heavy with this, that you would have a space with trusted leaders to share it with and be prayed for. And I hope that that time would be for you along with anything else going on in your life. Father, we come to you this morning. And um, again, like maybe we just didn't know. We just believed that it's, it's just sex. We didn't think that sex was like you living inside of us or you, us being in you. We didn't think you made it so powerful, so beautiful, so life-altering. But today, Lord, I pray for your kids who've said, hey, like, I want to follow Jesus. I pray for them, Lord, that you would remind them of your word and remind them of trusting you when it's super hard, when they have to wait a really long time. Um, And believe that you, whenever you call us to wait, whenever you call us to abstain, it's because you have something more beautiful, more precious, more purposeful for us. You have something better than what the world is offering and that we would trust you with that better God. I just want us to have a few minutes uh, to talk to the Lord about this. And if there's a heaviness 
in your heart, would you just bring that to Jesus and say, God, would you forgive me for the, the things that are coming up in my mind, those events, those moments? I don't want to walk that way anymore. I changed my mind. I want to believe in your truth and walk towards you. Would you restore me? Would you put my soul back together? Would you let me give all of myself to my wife, my husband, to my future wife, my future, future husband? Would I experience what you talked about today? Would you just talk to the Lord and allow, and just repent and allow him to heal you um, and however you're broken? Father, I pray that as we lift each other up, um, as we worship, that you would just continue to minister to us. Um, thank you for your forgiveness that is comprehensive and deep, and you make us so holy that you can live inside of us. And I pray that we would just walk that out, that we would take, make course corrections in our life to guard uh, the nuclear bomb of relationships that you have gifted to us. From marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.